0: again, on the issue of healing. We talked two weeks ago, and uh, I received mixed reviews on my sermon from two weeks ago. <laughs> some people who were wonderfully blessed and encouraged and strengthened in their faith, and others who, well, they had some questions and left, they were left somewhat confused over some of the things I had to say they had some doubts and so forth. So my my thrust last week was just to, or 2 weeks ago was to establish a, a main thesis. And the main thesis was this is that it is God's will to heal. It is God's will to reconcile. It is God's will to redeem. He is a redeeming God. He is a reconciling God. He is a restoring God. He is a healing God. And I I, I tried to encourage people, because I knew that there were going to be some questions. I knew there were going to be some problems. I tried to say, all right, now put the, put the doubts, the buts, the questions on the back burner for the time being. We want to establish an overall perspective of who God is. And then we deal with the butts later. But some butts crept in there and created some problems. And so we want to try to deal with some of those this week. God has invited us to participate with Him in all that He's doing. Witness this team going to India. God is marvelous to send people halfway around the world to minister into a different culture. And He's going to do things in the lives of these people that are remarkable, that they know not even what He's going to do yet, as well as what they're going to be used to accomplish in Madras and the surrounding area. I want to submit to you once again and suggest to you that we are spiritual workers. We are spiritual workers. We do spiritual work. The Great Commission is that we should make disciples. That is spiritual work. It's worked out in the tangible, physical arena, but it is spiritual work first and foremost. So the things we do are spiritual. We want to establish spiritual foundations for our lives and for our relationships and for the ministry. Do we not? We need a strong spiritual foundation for all things. I suggested to you that we have the power. We have the power of God available to us. Do we not? By the Holy Spirit given to us. Jesus said... In John's Gospel, chapter 14, he says, The the works that I do, you shall do also, and you will do greater works. So we have power, we have ability, we have a mandate to do spiritual work. We have the privilege, witness His uh, commissioning of His disciples, and hence all of His disciples, to go forth... And to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near, and to heal the sick and the afflicted in Jesus' name. So we have the power, we have the privilege, and to proclaim that God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom has broken into time and space and history. God makes a difference in people's lives. He is expanding his kingdom. His kingdom is taking more and more and more territory. He is redeeming more and more and more lives, restoring people, bringing hope to the hopeless. And we get to participate with him. So often, however, we Christians can be very myopic. We, we, our perspective is, what, what, God, what are you going to do for me? And especially when we talk about this area of healing, the tendency would be to focus only on ourselves and our own situation. I don't want to discount that, but I want to make sure that we, we don't do that exclusively, for we are spiritual workers, we are called to be enjoined to do spiritual work and expand the kingdom of God, are we not? So let not the focus be so much on us as let it be outward. Let it be outward. You become a Christian, not just to get saved from hell. You become a Christian to begin to participate with God in the great work that he is doing. We hunger for worthy causes. We hunger to give ourselves, give our lives to that which is meaningful, that which will not pass away, that which will endure. Don't we? I want to invest myself in something that has substance and meaning. I don't want to just pass my life away in trivialities, being self-focused. Growing narrow and mean-spirited and, and, and insensitive to the greater world and environment around me. There's something in me that that screams out, to be involved, to get involved. No greater cause could I be involved in, no greater cause could any of us be involved in, than the expansion of the kingdom of God. And so we have this great privilege, and he's empowered us to proclaim God's kingdom, and to, and to demonstrate that kingdom in works of power. Now, I want to suggest that we be, we be committed to the proposition unalterably committed to the proposition that it is God's will to heal. Now I know for some people, that's a, that's a, that's a giant leap, that's a giant step. Because the tendency for a lot of people to say, well, I, I'm not sure that it's God's will to heal. No, I would suggest to you that God is committed to healing. God is committed to restoring. God is committed to taking the broken and bringing wholeness to that which is broken. That's the message of the book. Genesis chapter 3. You have that which is whole and wonderful and perfect, broken by the fall. And the whole rest of the Bible is the record of God's work to bring restoration and healing, which will ultimately culminate in the final kingdom when it's revealed in its fullness. But I, I, I still want us to... to to stand for. I still want us to advocate for. I still want us to uh, contend for the proposition that it is God's will to heal. It is God's will to heal. And that healing, as we said two weeks ago, is rooted in His love. It's rooted in His love. Why is this so important to understand? This is where some people, I think, got a little confused last week, two weeks ago. So much of the time, we live our life and we, as Christians and we try to achieve a certain degree of holiness or achieve a certain measure of faith in order to get God to work on our behalf. That's a very frustrating experience. Most Christians have given up, quite frankly. Most Christians have consigned themselves, resigned themselves to living almost fatally, saying, well, it must not be God's will. Because they have not been able to muster the kind of faith that is effective for connecting with God's power. That's why I suggested to you that there's a relationship between knowing that God loves you and knowing His love And the knowledge of His love, really, gives birth to a confidence, a hope. I have a great hope. I have a great hope. His mercies are new every morning. I have no doubt about that. I believe. I believe. I want to know God's love more than I know it today. I not only want to know how wide and how long and how high and how deep is His love, I want to know His love more and more and more. Because as I know His love more and more and more, I find that I have a greater and greater hope. And that hope gives rise to faith, I believe, that is effective. I don't have to crank up the faith. I don't have to muster the faith. I don't have to say, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to have faith for this. No, it starts back in love. Every relationship, if it's to flourish, and if there is to be healing in the context of relationship, has to start with a foundation of what? Love. It's no accident that our relationships are grounded that way because they're reflective of a much greater relationship. So love, I would suggest to you, is the foundation for healing. God's love. You know that God loves you. Then the process grows. Faith evolves, if you will, if I can say it that way. And you just, you just know that you know. You believe. There's no doubt. There's no wavering. You're, you're confident. You're not tossed about on the sea of double mindedness back and forth in first john chapter 4 verse 16 john writes this god is love god is love very essence of his nature and character love john 316 every tv sports fan knows this verse It's in every stadium throughout the country. John three sixteen. What is it? God so loved the world. And He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Why? So that the world should continue to suffer? No. So that what? So that the world could be redeemed. So that people could be saved. So that, so that wholeness could come to people's lives. God so loved the world. So I I would suggest to you that these are propositions that we first and foremost must be committed to. And while we're committed to those propositions, not denying them at all, not diminishing them, we still also must deal with the questions. We must deal with why some people are not healed. That's a real issue for us. Now, that's a difficult question to address, and it's difficult for three reasons. One, it's an emotional issue. It's a very emotional issue. Who wants to suffer? Who wants to suffer? Who wants to see somebody suffer? Only a sadist, right? Is God a sadist? No. But this suffering issue and the dealing with it is a very emotional issue, isn't it? We get very emotionally involved over it. And I would suggest to you, God does not want to see people suffer. Evidence, his own statement about himself in his own self-revelation, Exodus chapter 15, when he reveals himself, he says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. Now, if God wanted to see people suffer, do you think He'd reveal Himself as a healer? No. Nor would He have sent Jesus in the New Testament. Matthew records that He went throughout the, all of Galilee healing all diseases and all the sicknesses. Now, if God, if God wanted to see people suffer, would He have sent Jesus to heal all the diseases and all the sicknesses? No. Would He have caused Paul to pen these words? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that, that by His Spirit He has given gifts to the church, manifestations of faith and gifts of healing. So I would submit to you that this is, among other reasons, a difficult issue to talk about. It's a very emotional issue, but we have to understand that God is for us. He's not against us. He's for us, and the scriptures give us ample testimony to that effect. Now, the issue is further complicated by another problem, and that is that it is a biblically complex issue, this issue of healing. It's not a simple issue. It's complex. And sometimes the bit of biblical information, the biblical data available to us can seem overwhelming. Hence, we often do not want to go to all the work necessary to thoroughly examine all the biblical options. And we resort to simplistic answers. We tell people, well, it's not God's will. And we just write it off real quick. We say, well, uh, God doesn't heal today. Or... Gosh, I, I, I've never experienced anything like that. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't have a category. So we're not able to offer people solid evidence, solid testimony, solid answers to steady their lives and give them any kinds of confidence if we're not doing the hard work and the study and finding out what does the Bible say. We give them the equivalent of what we would call spiritual B.O., bewilderment and opinions. (laughs) We go, I don't know. And they walk away bewildered and full of our opinions. And most of the time, our opinions aren't really based on the, the breadth of Scripture. This is why it's important for us to understand that this issue of healing is a very complex issue biblically. People need solid answers. People want solid answers. That's why Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He's given them solid answers. Why is it that sometimes the very best of Christians often suffer relentlessly, the best of Christians, and are not miraculously healed? You and I can agree with Exodus chapter 15. We can say yea and amen to the fact that God reveals Himself as I am the Lord, your healer. We can agree with Matthew's testimony of Jesus going throughout all of Galilee, healing all the diseases and sicknesses. We can agree with Paul's testimony that God by His Spirit has gifted the church with faith and healing. But though we contend that these are indisputably true, they are not the total biblical picture with respect to healing. There are also matters of faith, and there are matters of personal responsibility. Matters of what? Faith and personal responsibility. What are they? Matters of? Faith and personal responsibility. Two major areas that most people are not either aware of or are they contending for in a broad sense. Now there's a third complicating factor when we deal with the issue of healing it makes it difficult to to give absolute definitive answers to. Is healing tied into the presence of the kingdom of heaven do you think? Surely. I mean, Jesus came, he came, he, he was pronouncing the kingdom of heaven, and he was demonstrating that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was breaking in, and he was demonstrating that kingdom by what? Healing all disease and sickness, wasn't he? Ministering in physical ways, casting demons out of people, all sorts of things. So I would suggest to you that healing is tied into the presence of the kingdom of God. And there is the fact, we have to deal with, that the kingdom of God is here, but is it here fully yet? No. A great theologian of our century, George Eldon Ladd, coined this phrase to describe the situation of the church and the kingdom of God. He says, the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet here fully. It is not yet consummated. We live in the tension of the two. And hence, that affects healing. So, there are these complicating factors and we have to take them into account when we deal with this issue of healing, not denying at all our overarching testimony that God wills healing, that God wills, that His desire is to reconcile and to put things back together that have been broken. Next week, I want to look at with you what I believe is the main reason why some people are not healed miraculously. Next week, I want to look at the main reason. This week, this morning, I want to look briefly at five other biblical reasons. Now, this is not an exhaustive study. It is, is just a, basically an overview, a survey, if you will, and it's designed to serve as a basic guide to understanding the place of faith, and the place of personal responsibility in the healing process. Faith and personal responsibility have a role to play. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Now these five issues, these five areas of discussion, are very vital, viable, important to the overall process. By setting one off till next week, though I believe it's the main reason, it doesn't mean that these five are diminished in any sense. They are equally important to the one I want to share with you next week. So let's look at five reasons, possibly, why some are not healed miraculously. The first reason, I will suggest, is a lack of surety. A lack of surety. Paul told the Romans, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38... He said, he used this phrase. He says, I am convinced. Now he goes on to say that he was convinced that nothing should separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We know that and we, we understand that. But I want to lift out that word convinced and I want to focus on it for a moment. I am convinced. That word, in the, from the Greek language, it means to be sure. It means to be confident or to have an inward certainty. I have this inward, undeniable certainty. I am convinced. Now, it often also carries with it the idea, this word, it carries with it the idea of one truth winning over another truth. I'm convinced of this over this. One truth winning over another. For instance, of allowing the truth of the unseen provisions of Christ for healing, allowing the truth of the unseen provisions of Christ for healing to be our focus more more than the truth of the seen realities of the sickness. Did you just follow what I just said? No. There's an upper story and a lower story. The upper story is the unseen realm. The lower story is the seen realm. They're both true. I'm sick. I have a cancer. I have a disease. I have a problem. This lower story can consume my focus, can't it? And very often it does. But what I want to suggest, when Paul says, I am convinced that the idea conveyed is that I'm going, to, I'm going to allow for this upper story, this unseen realm, to be dominant in my perspective and focus over this realm. That the unseen realities and provisions of Christ for healing... That they would dominate in my perspective and focus. Not so much the reality of my disease. This is, uh, <laughs> this is the reality of the Christian life. I don't care what area of Christian life you're talking about. This is what we're talking about in terms of faith. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says this, he repeats himself a number of times. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18... He says, fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What's he talking about? He says, understand that there's a whole other dimension that governs the visible dimension. There's the realm of faith, the unseen, non-experiential realm of faith. It is more real, it is more lasting, it is more powerful than that which is seen and visible. He says, man, you you need to be aware. You need to to focus on this. Fix your eyes up here. Let that be the focus. He repeats himself in Colossians chapter 3. When he says, in effect, the same thing, he says, let your your gaze, let your eyes, let your focus be on heavenly things, not earthly things, not things below. We're constantly being exhorted to look up. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 123? He says he'll look up to the hills from whence his help comes. But the tendency is very easily and, and very much often to focus on the lower story and to focus on the disease and the problem. That becomes the gripping thing, right? That's very normal. That's very human. We all are subject to that. But if we are spiritual beings, born again, then God says, hey, look up! Lift your eyes. Fix your gaze. So this idea of 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 one truth winning out over another. This unseen versus the seen to be able to look up. Very very important. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Still same same idea. The writer to the Hebrews says this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Wow! Certain of what I do not see. Do I have certainty? Do I have surety? Am I convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt? Now, this is not to deny the reality of sickness, (laughs) and this is this is a problem where a lot of faith teachers have have, have taught over the years. You know, oh no no don't confess that don't 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 admit that you're sick. Live in denial. No, that's not reality. Romans chapter 4. Paul sets forth Abraham as our example of faith, doesn't he? Did Abraham uh, deny the reality that he was about 100 years old and his body was as good as dead since he was that old? huh? No, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He faced the fact that he was impotent. He faced the fact that there's no reproductive possibility, humanly speaking. And he looked over at lovely Sarah and Sarah's womb was dead also. He's 100, she's 90. He stared the facts right in the face. He didn't deny them. He said, humanly speaking, it doesn't look good, but these are not the only circumstances. He lifted his eyes. He lifted his sight. He was a man of faith. He knew that God had the power to do what he had promised. He was confident in his God. And so we also... We're not not denying disease and sickness and the reality of it. It's just that there's a bigger reality. See, it's a matter of focus, and it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? What's my perspective? What's my focus? Do I really believe that God is for me? Have I lifted my sights? Lifted my vision? Now, I want to suggest something. This is just a suggestion. Do with it what you want. Bounce this around, mini-church. I'm just going to throw this out for consideration. Not laying down a hard and fast rule. I'm just throwing it out. Do you think that through meditating on biblical principles and passages relative to healing, meditating on those passages, do you think They're doing that more than meditating on the sickness. Do you think that maybe there might be an outside chance that we might become convinced of God's ability to heal, His willingness to heal, and His provision to heal? Just a suggestion. (laughs) Just an outside thought. For your consideration. John chapter 15. How many know what John chapter 15 is all about? Abiding. Right? Remember it's the, the vine and the branches and abiding in Christ and bearing fruit and all that stuff. Verse 7 of John 15. Interesting st- statement by Jesus. He says in effect, If you abide in me, and in my words, What will happen? What could happen? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Could we relate abiding in Christ, staying in close, intimate relationship with Him, and abiding in His Word, staying in His Word, meditating in His Word? Could it possibly be that we could relate those things to meditating on these passages, relating to healing and becoming more and more convinced of God's ability, willingness, and provisions? Is there a possibility there might be a connection? Outside chance? 10% maybe? (laughs) Worth exploring if it's 10%? I think so. As an example, I remember a testimony of a woman who was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. Now this woman... Loved the Lord, abided in relationship with Jesus, soaked in His Word, loved His Word, read it, meditated in it, memorized it. God's Word was precious to her. She was diagnosed with terminal cancer immediately upon hearing the diagnosis. Not later. Immediately upon hearing the diagnosis of terminal cancer. You're going to die from cancer. In a very short period of time, immediately from her lips came these words from Psalm 118, verse 17. Immediately these words came off her lips. I will not die, but I will live, and I will proclaim what he has done. That was her testimony. You asked, did she die? No, she didn't die. She survived the cancer, and she's living today. But here is a, what was her immediate response. What was her immediate response? It wasn't well. Oh, oh, gosh. Uh, no. And I don't mean to demean the fact that those of us who don't have that ready that ready resource. What I'm suggesting to you is: here's a woman who was prepared. Here was a woman who understood her God. Here was a woman who was devoted and knew and was confident in her relationship with her God. No matter what. But when she was diagnosed, immediately from her lips came that testimony: "I will not die." that I will live and I will proclaim what He has done. I offer that to you for your consideration. The second reason why some people may not experience healing. Lack of endurance. Lack of endurance. In the 10th chapter of Hebrews, we see a strong exhortation to persevere. Persevere. Now, there were... In Jerusalem and elsewhere, there were Hebrew believers. And the church was undergoing some persecution. And when persecution comes, those people who are really shallow in their faith generally fade. We understand that from the parable of the sower and the seed. So there were some people in this, in this congregation of believers that the writer is, is communicating to who apparently are not really strong in their faith. And they're fading or backsliding or, or, or uh, on the verge of giving up. So he challenges them to persevere, and in verse 36 of that 10th chapter, he says this, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Hang in there. Don't quit. Now you see this call to perseverance in every place in the Bible. If it's not directly seen, it's it's seen in the context of, of exhortations in ministry and so forth. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Same idea. Luke records this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. The idea is, if you're not always praying, what's the option? You're going to give up. Perseverance. Mark chapter 5. We won't read it, but I encourage you to read it later on your own. Most of you are already familiar with the passage. It's the woman who was afflicted with persistent bleeding for 12 years. Right? Remember that one? Now, she's bleeding for 12 years. She's got a hemorrhagic problem. 12 years. Would that discourage anybody? And she's been to all the doctors. And they've they've bled her. (laughs) She doesn't have any more money. No insurance. And she's still bleeding. She's exhausted all the resources. And she's still bleeding. Twelve years. How many would be tempted to quit? How many would be tempted, really, to be resigned to the fact, well, I guess I'm going to bleed to death. I guess it's God's will that I'm going to bleed to death. That's it. This is my lot in life, and I'll happily resign myself to it. Most of us would take that course, because there's no no other option, except Jesus. Now, Jesus comes to town, and crowds are around him. She could just as easily have decided to stay home that day. Oh, I don't think I'll go to church today. I'm so discouraged. I just... I'm just going to lay here in bed and suck my thumb. <laughs> Nothing good's going to happen. No, she decided to get up out of bed and go outside the commotion, find out what was going on. And, and, and Jesus, this itinerant rabbi, preacher, teacher, healer, minister, was traveling through town. Undoubtedly, she may have heard some things about him. So here he is. And all these people jostling around him. She says to herself, if I can just get close enough just to touch the hem of his garment. That's all I need to do. So she sneaks up real close, crowds around Jesus. She gets in there. She manages to get her hand in there somehow. And she grabs the hem of his garment. Immediately, Jesus goes, whew! Hey! Somebody touched me. <laughs> now his disciples, you know, oh, Jesus, of course somebody touched you. Man, there are just people all around you, <laughs> bumping into you. And he goes, no, 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 no. I felt power go out of me. Notice, notice, notice. Somebody touched me. Now weren't there all kinds of people touching him? Bumping into him, Jocelyn? Somebody touched me. Is that significant? Here's a woman after 12 years. Could have just easily given up. Most of us would have, I think. She would not give up. He says, who touched me? You think he didn't know? He knew. But he wants her to step forward. He wants her to testify. What happened when you touched me? What happened when you touched me? And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your persistent faith. You would not give up. You kept on. Is that significant? Would we persist 12 years? touch Jesus. Some people assume that God always heals instantaneously. That's it. And when he doesn't heal instantaneously, they give up. They quit. They stop. I want us to expand our perspective and our understanding of how and why and what God does as best we can. Could it be Again, just a a thought. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm not going to nail this thing down. I'm not going to set it in cement. Could it be, is there a possibility that sometimes, maybe, God might delay bringing about a healing because maybe we need to be taught patient persistence? I'm just throwing it out there. I believe that we are to pray. I believe that we are to pray until we are healed or until we die from the disease. That's what I believe. And, and you know, we may have to wait. And as we, as we wait, it, it's, it helps to, to learn to patiently endure. And while we're patiently enduring, there are probably some things that God wants us to have and God wants us to learn. Rather than stamping our feet. Rather than being like impetuous children. Say, Lord, it's obvious you're delaying this for some reason. I, I, I want to learn what you have for me. It's okay to seek his mercy through medical help too, isn't it? Let God heal through doctors and so forth. Sure. Whenever possible, while we're waiting, whenever possible, I think it is vital for us to try to live above the sickness. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the things is not succumbing to pity. Not succumbing to pity. That's easy to do, isn't it? I'm a big baby, I confess it. I'm a big baby. When I get sick, I wanna be baby. I want my wife to make me homemade chicken soup. I want her to put me to bed. I want her to say, poor baby. I do. I'm a big baby. I understand what it is to succumb to this. And to not be willing to try to live above it. To somehow, as best as I am able, to live as close to possible a normal lifestyle in spite of the disease and sickness. Proverbs 18, verse 14. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness. Isn't that interesting? A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? If my spirit is crushed, I can't bear anything. And who can bear with me? A third reason why I think some people are or not healed is lack of confession of sin. The lack of confession of sin. Proverbs 28 13 says an interesting thing. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. That is, if you believe in a sovereign God. <laughs> but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, that's a general principle. Could we apply that general principle to the specific area of healing? I think so. James chapter 5. James chapter 5 clearly links personal sin with sickness on occasion. In James chapter 5, you know, uh, James says, verse 16, he says, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be, what? healed is that only spiritual healing some people have said that i would suggest that we may uh, apply a broader interpretation to that so that you may be healed because why he says earlier on he says if any of you are sick let him come call for the elders be anointed with all the uh the prayer of the righteous can do much and he alludes to uh, the effect of elijah's prayer Ordinary man? So there, there is a connection, apparently, between unconfessed sin and sickness on occasion. There are times when there's a connection. Now, we know that all, all sickness ultimately comes because of the fall, right? Chapter 3 of Genesis, the fall of man. All sickness comes because of the general curse of sin. And so we must watch our tendency to quickly attribute a lack of healing to personal sin. Very simply, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind, doesn't it? Oh, you're not healed because there's sin in your life. Not necessarily. We've got to be careful of that. On occasion that may be the case, but that's not always the case. Witness Job, (laughs) his three theologically astute friends. What do they accuse him of? Job, there's something wrong in your life. That's the problem. And they hammered away and hammered away and hammered away. Now, they had, they had a limited visibility of something that was true. That there can be a relationship between personal sin and sickness. Problems. But they needed a broader perspective. That which they did not have at the time. So it's very important for us... Uh, to when we're ministering, not to be so quick to jump and to, to point and to suspect somebody' personal sin. That's why you're sick. There may be other reasons. And we also must remember, too. This is important: that healing is not a reward for personal holiness. Let me say that again: healing is not a reward for personal holiness. How many times have we thought, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be holy. I'm gonna get really right with God. Then He'll heal me." What are we doing? We're saying that we deserve it and we can earn it. When in fact, any gift from God is a what? Gift from God. Life itself is a gift from God. Did we ask to be born? No. Did we earn it? No. Did he earn salvation? No. So healing is the same way. It's a gift from God. It's because He loves you. He loves you. However... It doesn't discount the fact that known sin... What I say? Known. known sin, as opposed to unknown sin. I'll draw the distinction in a minute. Known sin must be confessed and repented of. Because it does block a channel of prayer and channel of receptivity. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened... Known sin. If i got sin in my life and I'm holding on to it, I'm cherishing it. Yeah. How in the world can I expect that God is going to answer my prayers and bless my life if I'm standing over here doing my thing foolishly? It's ridiculous. Now, known sin. There is a, there is a wave in the church today in the, in the name of what we call this inner healing stuff that says that you've got to go dig up all these rocks in your life. You've got to go and do this severe introspection. Do you know that we are not built for it? You know that you're not designed for introspection like that? It'll drive you crazy and depress you. You look inside too long, you get ugly and depressed. You ever notice that? That's the Spirit's job. That's the Spirit's job. But there's all sorts of people now being sold the bill of goods saying, Oh, no, no, you've got to dig up all these memories. You know what? I can barely remember what I had for lunch last week, <laughs> let alone try to remember what happened to me in my mother's womb. Now, you, you we're laughing, some of us. But for some people, this is a very serious issue. And it is, it is way out there in left field. We are open to suggestions. Do you know that? Can I influence you? Can I offer suggestions that can subtly influence the way you think? Absolutely. I have tremendous power, don't I? What about an unseen being? That if I'm rummaging around under the assumption that there are things that I need to uncover that may not be there. Could not I be setting myself up? You say, but, but, but what if there are things there that I'm not aware of that I'm in denial of? You know, that's a great term today, denial. What if there are things there that, that I should probably deal with? There's two resources available to you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, good friends. You go to them and you say, you know, I'm feeling really strong right now. Can you tell me about me? <laughs> Are you sure you're feeling strong? You really want to know? Yes, I want to know. (laughs) And give them permission to tell you stuff that maybe you need to hear that you're not dealing with. The second option, obviously, is to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. The Holy Spirit. Psalm 139. David says what? Search me, O God. And see if there is any offensive way in me. Now you pray that prayer, willing for him to do it. Open, really open for him to do it. And you'll be driving along in your car one day, all of a sudden, boom. Oh, my goodness, I hadn't thought about that. Or you're in the shower, shaving away, or washing your hair, doing something. Yes, yeah, you know, not a care in the world, thinking everything is really fine. All of a sudden, Boom. <laughs> You ever find that to true? Does that happen to you too? Oh, Catherine, good. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. The fourth reason why some people aren't healed. We'll get through these last two quickly. Lack of respect for God's laws. Lack of respect for God's laws. God's principles. Has God designed an orderly universe? Has he given us laws and, and the universe is predictable and all of our systems are predictable so that so there's nothing unknown, we know how things work and we operate within the, 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 the constraints of a, of a known perspective, then we get blessed in that sense? Were you with me? What happens if you stand on the top of a 12 story building and you jump off the 12 story building without a jetpack? What happens? Splat. Splat. Let me tell you uh, the definition of splat. This was good. It was given to me last night at the, for- at the service. Splat. Stupid people living anti-theologically. Man, it's a law of gravity. God's designed it. He means for us to respect it. You run afoul of the law of gravity, you're in big trouble. You'll go splat. He designed a moral universe, has he not? And that moral universe, with all the moral laws, are reflective of his moral nature and character. True? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. This says it so eloquently. Deuteronomy chapter 28, look at verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody. It's worth looking at. It's worth allowing to go in your eye gate as well as your ear gate. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight. This is the second recounting of the law of God by Moses to his people. Verse fifteen. Moses says, "However, if you do not," and he's already pronounced. He said, "This is what will happen if you obey God. He'll bless you out of your socks." In other words, if you follow the design, if you operate within the the constraints of the the, uh, uh, principles that he's outlined. But he says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Then he lists a whole bunch of things. Now drop down to verse 21. He says, the Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. So I'm going to suggest to you that there is a link. There is a link here uh, between a lack of respect for and, dis- and, and, and obedience for God's laws uh, to sickness. There's a link there. We said, but that's the Old Testament. Ah, I got some New Testament for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is just an example. There's many, many more. There's just one I picked out. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What happens in that chapter? Paul talks to the Corinthians and he rebukes them about their careless attendance to the Lord's table, doesn't he? He says, you do not discern the body rightly. He goes on to tell them that they're, in effect, missing out. Because the Lord's table can be a source of great and wondrous healing and strengthening and renewing. He says, ignoring certain principles about communion resulted in sickness and in death for some of them. Communion! So God, so God set forth some principles about how to conduct His table, about how to discern the body of Christ, about how to be rightly related to Him through that event. And He said, because you have discarded these things, uh, some of you have gotten sick, some of you remain remained sick, some of you have even died. Because you've missed out on the resources that would have healed you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Another example. The body. Let's just take the example of the human body. The human body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us. The temple of the Holy Spirit. If it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, then it should also be considered as an instrument for bringing God honor or dishonor? Honor. Honor. Ah. If it's meant to be an instrument to bring Him honor and glory through, then would it make sense that we should take care of it? Is there an effect on our body when we don't take care of it? Are there certain common sense laws to observe what happens when you don't get enough sleep? Does it have an effect on your body? You don't get enough sleep for a long enough time, your resistance goes down, you're very vulnerable to what? Sickness. What happens if you don't get enough good, healthy food? At some point, you're setting yourself up, you're inviting disease, are you not? What happens if you overeat? Undereat. are people starving themselves to death? <clears throat> right. Because something other is their, is their God than God. Their image. Other people overeating because something else is their God, not God. What happens if you consume too much alcohol? You get sick? <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, you invite sickness. What happens if you take drugs, if you abuse drugs? You get sick? Disease? Sure. All sorts of things. So, huh? What happens if you use your body in an unholy manner sexually? Do you not invite disease and sickness? Sometimes even death? Yes. See, so God has set up certain laws. He's set up certain parameters. He's, he has designed life to be lived in such a way that if we observe those principles, chances are we'll have health and well-being. If you abuse those and disregard those, then you invite disease, you invite sickness, you invite even death. The fifth area, fifth reason, if you will, why some people may not be healed, lack of discernment. Lack of discernment. This is a special area, this is a specific area. And by this I mean properly discerning if the sickness is due to sin in general, or or the fall in general, and if that's the case, then uh, prayer for healing would be needed. Or if the sickness, if the problem is directly attributable to demons, in which case there's need for exorcism for healing. So we need discernment now. Is this a problem where demons have, have, have uh, uh, brought this on, or is this a problem where sin in general, the fall of man, has uh, left its effect? Now, as an example, Matthew chapter 17, there is an epileptic boy. Do you remember the epileptic boy? He's epileptic because of a demon, not because of sickness in general. Because of a demon. Matthew clearly states in verse 18 of that passage, Matthew clearly states that Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. So there's a direct relationship now in this epilepsy between the demon and the disease. Now you compare that with Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 where there are epileptics who are apparently epileptics because of disease in general, not because of demons. Because when Matthew describes that Jesus went about healing all these people, he said there were epileptics, there were paralytics, and then the third category, the demon-possessed. So he sets these people sick over here. Epilepsy, same disease as the earlier guy, but for a different reason. The point I'm making is that Paul says that God has given by his spirit, the church, gifts of discerning of spirits. And I think that as workers, spiritual workers, we also must be sensitive and have some discernment. If we are gonna be ministering and healing, is this a demonic problem or is this a sin problem? Where Where is the, the, the genesis of this? We need to, we need to have some discernment. You could say, well, well can I, Can we just kind of pray some general prayer and just say, God, heal this person? Well, I suppose you could. I mean, the disciples did that, didn't they? Could they cast the demon out of that kid? No, they didn't. They couldn't. It took Jesus to come with very specific discernment and to cast that demon out. So you could pray some general prayer. I'm not sure that it would be effective. Now, if you're going to have your car fixed, you go to a mechanic, do you want the mechanic to be very discerning in what the problem is? <laughs> yeah. So if I'm bringing my spiritual problem to you, if I'm bringing my disease to you, if you go to a doctor and you want the doctor to bring healing to your life, do you want him to be very discerning in what the etiology of your disease and sickness is? Surely. The same thing true is of spiritual workers. You want to say... Help me understand what's the source of this problem. We need to be spiritually discerning, I think. I just, again, offer that to you for your consideration. You (laughs) do with it what you will. Having said all this, I want to remind you, next week we're going to look at the main reason why people are not healed. Now, our overarching belief and presupposition is that what? God wills to heal and that healing is grounded in His what? His love. God loves you. God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your marvelous love. I thank You for Your grace to us. I thank You that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. I thank You, Lord, that we can love You because You first loved us. Father, I pray that this morning, all of us, would think seriously on this matter of being spiritual workers, those of us who are Christians. And Lord, that we would just with with all vigor and excitement be willing to be bold in our participation with you in that which you're calling us to be and to do. Strengthen the church, Lord. Bless the church. Cause us to be people who Lord, are thrust into the harvest for the growth of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, remember that as we give, it shall be given to us. That we're not the main focus, but Lord, that you desire to bring healing to a world that is indeed broken and hurting, full of grief and sorrow, that is indeed hopeless. I pray, Father, that you would do a great work in us all. You know where each and every one of us is. Bless your church, Lord. Strengthen us. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. There are some here this morning. I don't normally do this, but uh, I feel like the Lord is prompting me to offer to some here today uh, the gift of salvation. Not that I can give it to you, but I can point you to Jesus. The Bible says that all men have sinned. If you don't believe me, then just look at your conscience. Everybody has done wrong. Everybody has violated God's law and His standards. Everybody's guilty. These are God's laws. So no one can stand before God on Judgment Day and say, I didn't know. God says, no, you knew. You just chose to ignore your your guilt. But... God doesn't want to leave us in our guilt. He wants to cleanse us from our guilt and he wants to give us new life. He wants to give us a second chance, a clean slate, a new start. There isn't anybody around who looking at their life can't find one or more areas where they would say, looking back in their past, say, you know, if I could just have a second chance If I could just have another shot at that, I'd do it differently. I know more now. Being born again is the same thing. God's giving man a second chance. We're all sinners. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to redeem you. He wants to reconcile you to himself. He wants to heal your life. To give you hope and a future. And all of that funnels through Jesus Christ. The Bible said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. There are not many ways. All paths don't lead to the one true God. There is only one path, Jesus. He said it. We believe it. And you'll find yourself that when you commit your life to Jesus, that he's true and he's right. Now, I don't know, but that God has already been working in some people's hearts, some people's lives. My part is just to offer you the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus this morning. You make that decision, it's between you and Him. And you ask Him to save you. Save you from your sins, save you from the guilt, save you from eternal condemnation and hell. And save you to a brand new life and the participation with Him and what He's doing. If you're ready to make a decision, if you're ready to repent of your sin, if you're ready to give your life to the Lord, you're ready to believe in Jesus, while everybody else's heads are bowed, because they, they want to they focus on their prayers for you. That's why their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. They're praying. They're focusing for you right now. They don't know who you are. But while Christians are praying... If you're ready to make a decision for Jesus, I'd like to pray with you, but I don't want to pray by myself. I want to know that there is somebody praying with me. You can signal me. Say, Pastor, I want to pray. I want to become a Christian. I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want a second chance. You can signal me just by raising your hand, and I'll know, and then we'll pray. Is there anybody at all? God bless you. I see your hand okay over here on the side. I see your two hands in the back. I see your hand down here in front. Good. Way in the back. Okay, I see your hand, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? I see your hand here. God bless you. Okay. Anybody else? Yes, sir, I see your hand. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. Good. God bless you. Is there anybody else? God's speaking to your heart now. Don't, don't resist him. Don't put him off. I see your hand. Okay, God bless you. Just surrender. Surrender your life now. You need him. You need him. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. If you raise your hand, you make this your prayer. I'll pray it out loud from on the platform here. But you hitchhike on my words. You make them yours. You repeat them in your heart. God looks on your heart. He knows exactly where you are. God, forgive me. I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that I have violated your laws and I've, I've, I've lived in ignorance and disobedience to you. But I've heard this morning that there is one true God. And he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he died for me on that cross 2,000 years ago. He took my sins upon himself and my guilt. Was buried for three days and raised to life to bring me new life. So God, I believe in Jesus and I receive that new life, that free gift this morning. No strings attached. I receive that free gift of new life. Cause me to be born again today, Lord. I give my life to you. Give me a brand new start, a clean slate. Cleanse me of all my sin and all the unrighteousness. And heal me, God. Heal me. God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for working in me and bringing me to this point of decision. I believe in Jesus. God, I praise your name. Amen. Welcome to the family. God bless you. A couple of things real quickly. If you did pray with me, I want to encourage you. We'll have some of our pastors, if if our pastors would go back to the prayer room, please. We'd like to invite you to go back to the prayer room because we'd like to be able to talk with you, meet with you for just a couple of minutes and uh, help you uh, in a couple of ways. One, tell you some things you're gonna to need to know for the next steps in your, in your new life as a Christian. And secondly, we wanna be able to answer any questions that you might have, and uh, give you a little bit of information. So if you did pray with me, I'm gonna ask you to go back to our prayer room. If I'll have some of our pastors back in the prayer room now. Mike, would you see to it that we have some shepherds back there, please? And uh, let's let's uh, let's walk on streets of gold, shall we? Shall we stand and sing to the Lord?